0: May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto you, O Lord, our Maker and our Redeemer. Amen. In our second reading for the next five weeks, we are going to be hearing excerpts from the book of James, which I want to give an introduction to this week. Now, preaching on James from a Lutheran pulpit seems only fair to mention that Brother Martin was not a fan of the book of James. He called it an epistle of straw, which, if he'd had his druthers, wouldn't even have made the cut as a book to be included in the Bible. That epistle of straw part... Luther's observation of calling James really a lightweight book is largely because Luther thought of Scripture as Christ's cradle, as in Christ lies in it. And you can go there certain that you will find him in it, and everything in it, in one way or another, finally, is about the story of him. But in the case of the book of James... Jesus is actually only mentioned twice, and in those cases, actually, that's all he is just mentioned, as in the very first book of the Bible, verse of the the book, which says, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Luther Luther found James to be an epistle of straw because that's all the Jesus you get in it. There's no mention of the cross or anything that Jesus did or said, and Luther is absolutely right about that, which is why if you only get one book of the Bible, You don't want it to be the book of James, because there's no gospel there. Luther's other criticism is James' emphasis on good works and its primary theme of godly living, leaving a good and godly life, which, of course, no one is against, including Luther, to be clear. But, of course, context. Luther's Reformation was birthed. In Luther's born-again experience of rediscovering in Scripture something the church had lost sight of and had stopped preaching, that being the good news that though there's no good work that you can do that will be good enough to earn you into God's good graces because of how good you've been, but Luther nevertheless discovered in his favorite book, the very weighty book of Romans, that though we, by our own perceived goodness, do not find our way into God's good graces, God, our good and gracious God, in the flesh, and blood and life and death of resurrection of of our Lord Jesus Christ finds his way to us, not atop some perceived shiny mountaintop of our good works, but rather at the foot of the rotting mountain of our sin. There to clothe us in the promise that, in, in Paul's words, since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, they are now justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a, a sacrifice of atonement by his blood to be received through faith. For we hold that a person is justified, apart from works of the law, justified by faith. And we certainly do hold that. And we preach that. We preach it in one way or another every single Sunday of the year. But that said, I'm on the list of those Lutherans who believes that though of course you don't want James as your only book of the Bible, it is nevertheless, in our context, an important book of the Bible. Soren Kierkegaard believed that so strongly that he speculated that if Luther had lived not in 16th century pre-Reformation Germany, but rather with Kierkegaard in 19th century post-Reformation Denmark, Luther actually would have claimed James as one of his favorite books. Well, who's to say? But Kierkegaard's rationale was that whereas Luther saw faith as this living, breathing, vibrant thing that couldn't not just burst out with good fruit as we live our daily lives in gratitude to God's amazing grace, what Kierkegaard saw, and what is not hard to see still, is a church where faith has instead become little more than a dry intellectual assent to a theology we rotely mouth when we gather with others, but which has nothing to do with the living of our daily lives. Craig Kester from Luther Seminary in a class I took a few years ago put it this way, you don't want James to be your only book of the Bible. You don't want James to be the central or core book of your Bible because it barely mentions Jesus and the biggest picture story of the Bible. But the book of James is a guardrail that keeps you from driving off the road while you're looking at the big picture. And the specific cliff James doesn't want you to drive over is the cliff of faith without action. Faith that is just a head trip as opposed to a life changer as James will put it in the reading we will hear next week. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but you do not have works? If a brother or a sister is naked and lacks daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what is the good of that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I by my works will show you my faith. Actions, the saying goes, speak louder than words. And so, says James, when it comes to faith, good works speak louder than words. For people may doubt what you say. They will doubt what you say but they will believe what you do. And no, no, of course we aren't saved by good works, and we are sure of this because we are people who have read more of the Bible than just the book of James, but we are saved for good works. For the faith of the saved is meant to get to work for good in God's world. And that is the theme of the book of James. True faith is not something merely intellectually laid out, but also something actively to be lived out. So with that introduction, let's take just a quick stroll through the portion of James that is our text for this morning, which begins, Every generous act of giving with every perfect gift is from above coming down From the Father of lights. Every good thing there is, every good thing you are, every good thing you have, every good thing you so have it in you to be and to become and to do and to give was given to you first, says James, by God the Father as a gift which is pretty much Stewardship 101, right? Which James leads with, because whether we're talking about being actively at work and faithful as stewards of the, of the earth or as stewards of our time, talent, and treasures, it's not going to happen faithfully if we think that every good thing we have is something that we gave us, and so every good thing we do or give is about the goodness of us every good thing we have and do and give james says is a good thing birthed of the generous goodness of god who james continues in fulfillment of his own purpose gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would become a kind of a kind of first fruits of his creatures one comment here seems so obvious that we shouldn't even need to say it, but unfortunately these days it must be said. When it comes to living our lives according to the purposes of God for us, it will not happen. It cannot happen if the drummer you are marching to is not sounding the drum beat of truth. In fact, given the number of people posting things these days, Bible-believing people who say the things they do on their social media platforms these days, I think I need to say it again. When it comes to living our lives according to the purposes of God for us, it will not happen if the drummer you are marching to is not sounding the drumbeat of truth. And when birthed by the word of truth, we then live according to the honest to God truth, says James, we become a kind of first fruits of God's creatures, meaning, I think, among other things perhaps, but meaning something like this, I think. When we in this life live according to the loving desires of the God who holds forever in God's hands, we by the power of God's word and God's love, as first fruits become, if you will, a fruit sampler platter of what forever will taste like. James continues, You must understand this, my beloved. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, for your anger does not produce God's righteousness. Therefore, rid yourselves of all sordidness and rank growth of wickedness, and welcome with meekness the implanted word that has the power to save your souls. Ah, meekness. So often, too often, the good works of the religious are offered to the world wrapped in the pride of those who count themselves better than others. The good works James counsels believers toward, on the other hand, are born not of pride, but of humility. Because, why? Because, among other things, with James, we remember, all that is good isn't from me, but from God. Who isn't this something? Sees it fit to accomplish some of God's purposes in God's world through even me, and through you too. Humility, of course, not pride, is required if one is, as James counsels, to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, for anger, James says, does not produce God's righteousness. Now, to be clear, there is, of course, according to the example of Jesus, such a thing as righteous anger, which does produce holy fruit. But can we agree... That most, most, most of what we do and say and text and tweet and post when we are angry, time and again proves quickly not to be righteous but to be regrettable. James continues, and as he does, he sounds the very first clear refrain of what I told you is his book's main theme be doers of the word and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. For if any are hearers of the word and not doers, they are like those who look at themselves in a mirror, for they look at themselves and on going away immediately forget what they were like. But those who look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and persevere, being not hearers who forget, but doers who act, they will be blessed in their doing. I like that image of God's perfect law as a mirror in which we see ourselves reflected. And when we do, we do see good things that God does want us to do, which is a good thing. Although of course, God's law being perfect, and in my case anyway, Roger being Roger, I see too in the holy reflection of God's perfect law, my imperfection, my flaws, my weakness, my sin, Which, as it turns out, because we do know more of the Bible than just the book of James, is also a good thing. For being aware of my sin, my flaws, my weakness is not only a great fertilizer for humility, but it is also great soil in which to kneel once again in confession, and thus to know, once again, God's grace, and thus to rise, once again, anew and forgiven, to strive, once again, in the direction of who God's word and God's spirit are calling and empowering and blessing and gifting me to be and to do. Our passage from today from James concludes, if any of you think they are religious and do not bridle their tongues, but deceive their hearts, their religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Those two seemingly unrelated admonitions the one about bridling our tongues and the other about helping the most vulnerable rather than being like the world, which ignores and basically tramples and abuses the most vulnerable. Those are actually two versions of what are two main sub-themes we will hear again and again as we read through the book of James in the coming month. Those being the themes, the main theme being the theme of faith in action, faith that works. Faith doesn't just sit on its hand, but gets to work in God's world. What both of those admonitions have in common, of course, they are both done in obedience to God, but they're also both done in regard to the neighbor. The first admonition telling us to bridle our tongues when speaking or texting or posting or tweeting about our neighbor. And the second telling us in concrete ways to come to the aid of our neighbors who are the most vulnerable and in need among us. It's interesting, I think. James says that true religion, religion that is true and undefiled before God, in James' words, is not all about being religious about preaching or praying or praising or reading the Bible and memorizing Bible verses, all of which are good things to do, except that they are lies to ourselves and to others, James says, if they are not accompanied daily by speaking the truth in love and by lovingly caring for the needs of our neighbors. Being faithful doers of the word, in other words, is not at its utmost, in James' mind, a matter of personal piety. It is a matter of loving God in the way that God wants to be loved, which is by loving our neighbor. Another pastor wrote, I once met a man who worked with a border ministry in Arizona, reaching out to people on both sides of the border, those in Mexico trapped in poverty and threatened by drug violence and those who risk the journey through the desert into a foreign land, often at the mercy of human smugglers. He told me that as a student, he had taken a mission trip to Mexico with campus crusades, and there were charged to take the gospel to the people, apparently unaware that the gospel had been there for several centuries. But they preached, and they showed the Jesus film, and they led Bible school for children in a poor village. One day a young boy who had taking a liking to the man cheerfully grabbed him by the hand and started pulling him. The man didn't know what the boy wanted, neither spoke each other's language very well, but together they walked around a corner to a small ramshackle house, and the boy opened the door and pointed inside. He was showing him his home. He was introducing him to his family. The man told me that it was there, standing in that doorway, looking into this dilapidated house with five or six children scampering around on the dirty floor, holding the hand of a little boy. It was there that he knew what God was calling him to do with his life, for he realized that the boy and his family needed more than a sermon. They needed help. The boy's name, incidentally, was Diego, which is Spanish for James. Amen.